It's time to clip your last good piece and dig in because the runout starts now. Hey, Chris. Hey, Andrew. Happy holidays. Merry yeah, Christmas. Happy holidays. It's the 26th. Did you have a good Christmas? Um, yeah, sort of. You know, we had a good family Christmas morning and then went over to the in law's house. And then uh, our kid proceeded to puke all night, which I believe yours did as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, yeah, it sounds like our kids. Um, Attended a super spreader event, yeah. uh, perhaps at your house. <laughs> or perhaps or Chris, at your house. <laughs> or perhaps at my house, it's hard to know. Depends, yeah. Yeah, we um, we celebrated uh, a couple back-to-back parties, yours at night, and then we had a brunch at our house the next day, and yep. uh, and who knows? Yeah, lots of who kids, knows? lots of germs. It might have um, been some sort of like sugar, like hangover that included well, vomiting too <laughs> it's, it's funny yeah no i mean we we thought the same thing we're like oh man brie just part you know christmas too hard Party and, too hard <laughs> and uh but no it sounds like maybe she caught a bug but hopefully that doesn't uh that's not a, a grown-up bug and just a you know little kid bug yeah i feel fine but yeah it's Anyhow, the end of 2023 so i know we're closing it out here this will be the last What's show of 2023. Have you reflected on this last year at all? Have you done nope. any journaling, like kind of deep uh-uh. introspection? Nope. No, you've just been cleaning up puke and... <laughs> Clean up puke and... Um, no, I just let my Spotify wrapped sort of speak for me. You know, if you want to know what happened this year, just go check out my my uh, my timeless tunes that I listened to all year. Like um, Farting is a Part of Life, the 1812 O-Farcher... Um, some of the jams, some of the jams that came through this year. I didn't look at my Spotify wrapped, but I did um, chess.com of which I subscribe and support and, mm-hmm. and spend apparently way too much time on. Does a wrapped and I won precisely one more game than I lost this year in uh, in my chess.com wrapped. Dude, that's not bad. Yeah. So basically think. I'm 50-50 for whether I'm going to win or lose. Is, I think yeah, the but takeaway. I mean, is that an improvement? I don't know. It's the first year I've been playing. So. Oh, okay. That doesn't seem so bad to me. Yeah. That actually seems like, I mean, I know you're not like some grandmaster, no offense. You know, I'm definitely you're an, not. You, you dabble. So if you're a dabbler, then that's not bad, I don't think. Yeah. So I guess that's a plus on uh, one thing I achieved this year, <laughs> wasting lots of time on chess.com. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I thought climbing that- was like, yeah, you can, it's hard to reflect on your climbing with your injury, so- yeah you know yeah climbing was a big bust for me because basically i lost a whole september season um Mm -hmm. to being in a shoulder sling which sucks especially as you get older and older yeah because you don't get many more dude yeah it's not like oh like you know i've got like (laughs) my whole life ahead of me no you do not (laughs) i mean you you more than i do but i i think about that now all the time like this this could be the last one (laughs) <laughs> um, that I really send. So, and I, I just managed to do what I, I try to do every year, which is climb at least one five thirteen in each season, season, spring, fall. Cause around here, like summer, nothing gets done. Mm-hmm. It's too hot. But, um, I had to grandfather my, uh, my, my spring season one in from January or July 6th. 
I had to like pull it back. That was <laughs> um, to to the uh, to call it spring. But you know, you get to play those games when you're older. Yeah. And then uh, the fall one just yeah just happened right right in the in the in the wheelhouse there in November, early November, I think maybe late October. So yeah, so I'm still still kicking. That's all I try to do. Well, That's like as low as my my expectations are. Five thirteen well, in the cool- spring, a five thirteen in the fall. Well, that's a, those are good expectations, and it's a, those are proud sons. So good for you. Thank you. Um, I um, if if there is one benefit to being injured, is you know I think that it for me it's just re- rearranged my perspective on climbing, and um, it's. I mean, like I'm like a beginner right now. Like I'm going to the gym and top roping five eight to five ten or whatever. And my friend, a uh, good friend, friend of the pod, Joe Kinder, when he heard that I was climbing again, he's like, "Dude, congrats! You get to be a beginner again." And it's like really good advice. Like that little, little pithy comment he he planted in my head, kind of made me realize just what, just how much joy there is, and just like having a learning curve like that. And, um, and so I'm trying to embrace that, that, um, being able to just like start over and like really start over. And and there's no, like, it's not like, you know, there's, I don't know. It's just like a a fresh start kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of how I am approaching my return to climbing from my shoulder surgery. And yeah, I feel like positive and uh, energetic and yeah, it's a new year. It's like all, everything's like kind of working out to to have a good mental <laughs> attitude about climbing. Awesome. Yeah, I mean that could be yeah, it's a silver lining for you cuz it's been uh up and down yeah. for a while anyway. Yeah. So, awesome. <laughs> well, I thought it would be fun and I'm kind of springing this on you uh, I know. because and it's going to be unfair to you because I'm I'm doing this and and I know you don't like surprises. You're like pretty grumpy about them in general. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um but I'm springing a show idea on you right now, and we're going to review some highlights and maybe just kind of missed stories of 2023. And I spent um, the day kind of going back through the internet archives, just kind of reviewing what had happened and <laughs> climbing in yeah. 23. And I think that it was kind of, I mean, this this um, this year to me, it was like my my year was consumed with just being part of the Real Rock Tour and being in the you know, kind of uh, being part of like the Palestine climbing scene and, and you know, bringing the Palestinian climbers over and, and doing film stuff. That was kind of the first part of the year for me. And then I, you know, fucked my shoulder up and then didn't climb for the rest of the year. So mm-hmm. it was like a very high, uh, wonderful start to the year and then kind of a, you know, dumpy second half. And I was kind of paying attention to what cl- happened in climbing over this past year, but I'd just be curious to hear what your take is. Like, how how would you kind of rank 2023 in terms of whether it was a good or, you know, bad year for climbing? Well, I mean, it's all going to be revealed because this is this is actually going to be some sort of trivia thing. And uh, Andrew informed me of this, you know, <laughs> literally. I was on the way home from the Pukathon um, and just arrived here at the house not too long ago. So... Um, yeah, so what's going to be revealed is that I will not remember anything that happened this year, um, <laughs> except for what's like recently happened. So the guys on Janu, you know, like that's a big deal. And, um, you know, I've been paying attention to that crew. 
I interviewed Steve House when they did, um, not long after they did the Sylvanian, and uh, some of those guys anyway. Um, talked to so Mike Janu Gardner, who's in your part mind. of that crew. Yeah, so that sticks out as like something from 2023 that will be remembered. You know, it, it's an ascent that mattered. And uh, that's kind of the only one. I mean, you know, we talked to Jakob Schubert about that, the the Project Hard, but like, I just don't, I'm, I'm, I'm always, or Project Big, sorry. I, I'm always like skeptical when like letter grades get pushed one more or whatever, like, you yeah. know, like it seems like a big deal at the time. And then like a couple years later, you know, it's like, well, who did the first 15B? Like, I don't know. Who did the first... 14C, I don't know. Like, you know, it that that thing is more of this like really building on the shoulders of others kind of a deal. Yeah. But I feel like the Janu thing will be um something that's talked about for a long time or or a, a, an important footnote in alpine climbing, so to speak. I agree. I I the Janu thing obviously stuck out as like kind of a, a notable send of the year. But um I think the big takeaway Should we say what my... the Janu thing was? I mean yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. Okay. Cool. Is it in the yeah. trivia? <laughs> yeah, it's in your. It's in your. Uh, it's in your test. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> your end of the year test. Okay. To see if you've been paying attention to climbing. Mm-hmm. I, I I just wanted to say that I, I I think that there was a lot of actual really impressive sending that kind of, I think just kind of all became muted and didn't stick out for one reason and or another. But when you when you do this exercise of kind of looking back on all of the you know sends that kind of get reported on climbing websites it was pretty impressive like there's a lot of really fucking hard climbing that people did this year and Mm -hmm. um i think that the the one trend i saw was that there were a lot of people climbing like v15 and harder Uh, and i i can understand why you might like either not pay attention that kind of news or just it all kind of blares together but there's like dozens and dozens of of stories about people doing like really hard boulder bouldering all over the world from like v15 to v17 and mm-hmm. i mean so burden of dreams cool. got repeated right i do know that burden of dreams yeah drew ruana went on like a tear for like two weeks in the summer and and he climbed ten, his 10th v16 this year our boy barefoot barefoot charles did a v17 um which seems kind of interesting um and a lot of those <laughs> routes were kind of like you know uh, downgraded too like you know, people were like, there'd be like a news story of someone repeating something. And, and this is going to be in your trivia uh, tonight too, as well. But, and some of it was downgraded. And so th- mm. it was just like an, I think an interesting year for bouldering is what, maybe how I would, you know, frame 2023. And then s- there were just like some very common names that kind of kept popping up in all of these stories. Pete Whitaker, Amity Warm, Babsy, Michaela Kirsch, Paige Clausen, Hazel Finlay, and Angus Killey. Sorry, Jakob Schubert, uh, Connor Herson. Like, so a lot of those people were doing like really interesting stuff throughout the year. We saw an access win for for Ontario climbers. Oh, yeah. Um, perhaps thanks to we us. saw, you know, thanks to our podcast exclusively. <laughs> um, and that access win is that they removed the no climbing signs at Devil's Glen. So. <laughs> You're yeah. welcome. Signs Ontario are gone. Climbers. Unfortunately, that means that we canceled the uh, the rush fundraising concert. So <laughs> if you guys had just had a, access problems for a little bit longer, I think we could have gotten that off the ground. So we got to go up there and cash in on our beers, Chris. Totally. No, that was promised. promised. 
yeah, yeah. we were promised beers. Our friends Alex Honnold and Tommy Caldwell rode, rode their bikes a lot all the way up to mm-hmm. Alaska and climbed the Devil's Thumb Traverse. Um, our friends did the Cowboy Direct on Trango. Our boy Sharma sent Sleeping Lion. I mean, it's like one of many 15 C ascents this year, but, uh, you know, I think it's anything Sharma does. I'm taking credit for that too, by the way. <laughs> what how, what can we not take credit for? That's the, the, maybe we should do a whole episode on that. On that, exactly. <laughs> You're welcome, Chris Sharma. A Norma bump to you. All right. All right. So you out. said... You said uh, Janu was the kind of biggest story, so let's get into the trivia. But that's Chris. only because you... it happened like not that long ago, dude. <laughs> like... Yeah, but it also <laughs> is the biggest story. Probably, I think it is. I think it's yeah. probably the one that'll like last. Certainly in alpine climbing, maybe in all of climbing, but certainly alpine climbing. All right, so let's get into the trivia. Are you ready? I am not, but we're gonna do it anyway. So let's do okay. it. Okay. All right, so. Alan Rousseau, Jackson Marvel, and Matt Cornell climbed the north face of Janu in proud alpine style. What was the name of their new route? <laughs> the Mystic Twig. <laughs> that is wrong. So you were off to a bad start. The one thing, the one climb that you remembered happened this year. You don't even know the name of the route. All right. So the correct answer is round trip ticket. And it kind of has an interesting name because that was a reference to an Alpinist article from 2007 uh, by a Russian climber who kind of basically made this like pithy comment about how if you go and try to do the North Face in Alpine style, you'll be buying a one way ticket. And so these guys approach this with that round trip ticket mentality, like they're going to live. And right. they actually had some kind of fighting words for um, uh, in this article I read where they were kind of talking about how like people are overblowing like the death and alpinism thing and it's not that big a deal and like blah, blah, blah. So th- th- those oh, are yeah, kind of like some, A5, dog. Yeah, there there was like a, a very hint uh, or, you know, you guys are cousins in that sense of of being like, <laughs> You know, yeah, this is all just overblown, and so anyway, it's kind of a cool, it's a cool root name, and um, mm-hmm. and I think that I, I picked that question because it did get lost in in the spray. Everyone just kind of talked about Janu North Face, but didn't know the the name. I mean, it, 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 the tradition is has often been that it's the North Face. You know, it's like like when S- Steve House did did the Rupal Face. Did did his root have a name? Did him and uh, Vince's root have a name? I don't even know. I don't either. You might have. I mean, That's a good question. I don't know. Or maybe since it was kind of, maybe it's the only one on the face. Although I think there's some like, there were some that like shot off the edge and then, mm-hmm. you know, finished on the ridge or something. But yeah, I don't know. It's not like completely ludicrous to not know the name in Alpine climbing because oftentimes the feature is the name. Right. So to speak. But uh, but yeah, that's cool. That's a cool story. And um, it reminds me of an article I read um, years ago in the Surfer's Journal, where they talked about this kind of big wave surfing myth where there was always, you know, Mavericks and, you know, Jaws and Chaopu. I think I think that's how you pronounce that one in Tahiti. That you, you know, if you went out there and, and ate it, you would die. It wasn't like a death sentence to do those things, even though the myth kept going that it was. Um, anyway, but that's that's kind of similar to that. 
So I just looked it up and um, Steve House's root on the Rupal face is called direct Rupal face. <laughs> <laughs> See, thank you, Steve. That's what that's. Because <laughs> new schoolers with their fancy Yeah, the new schoolers names. with their fancy special names. Although a mystic twig is, uh, I think that's <laughs> up for grabs if anybody wants to use that one. <laughs> Where did that come from? Is there any I don't story know, I just oh. Literally, it just came out of my brain. <laughs> just now (laughs) it's amazing all right let's move on they're kicking themselves when they hear this they're gonna be like fuck that would have been a great name for that mystic twig shit (laughs) all right who was the oldest woman to win a gold medal this year and it was her 30th overall gold medal who won a goal a 30th gold medal and it was her 30th overall um it has to be to do so to to do what? Win a gold medal at all or win 30? Yeah, just win a gold medal. In climbing or in all of history? Yeah, in climbing. Oh, in climbing. Was it yeah. Yanya? No? No. Oh. Um, did Bobby Benzman come back on <laughs> online? Jane Kim is the correct answer from South Korea. Okay, of course. Sure. Yep. She, she won 30. That was going to be my next guess. Overall. Yeah. <laughs> How old is she? Uh, she's like 32 or something. Oh, yeah. She's amazing. She's just been crushing, you know, comps for forever. And yeah, won a gold medal this year, her 30th gold medal. Yeah. Super inspiring. All right. Who became the second American woman to climb a 515A this year? Is it Michaela Kirsch? You are correct. Yes. Points on the board for Calouse. All right. What route was it? Um, it was, fuck, it's right. I know I've been, I, I totally like follow her on Instagram. <laughs> La Rambla. It wasn't, it was, that was this yeah. year. Oh, yeah. hasn't she climbed harder since then? Yes. Cause it seems like in the but last was... few, like couple months, she's been like raging. Yeah. She's been, she's had a huge year. She's done a lot okay. of like hard bouldering right, right. and hard, I... hard routes, but in January, um, of 2023, she became the second American woman to climb a 515A with La Rambla. So for some reason, my head La Rambla had been downgraded. Yeah, not by me, but um, <laughs> I thought it, I thought it was coming in at like not at uh, at 14D now. But yeah, I think that one's always had an iffy history. There's like the you got to like pass by the rest or some shit. Yeah, I'm not taking anything away from Michaela's ascent. That's I'm just explaining why I didn't guess La Rambla. Yeah, fair enough. I think that's a good explanation. All right, let's keep going. So okay. this one's uh, has the answer in the question because I know okay. you're never going to get this. So try okay. to use your big brain right. to figure out at least okay. a semblance of an answer. Okay. What is the first name of the woman who won the 2023 Oceana qualifier securing her spot in the 2024 Olympics in Paris? Paris. Oceana. No. <laughs> no, it's not. Really? Yeah. Oceana McKenzie <laughs> is from Australia and she is going to the Olympics and she got Get there by out. winning the 2023 Oceana qualifier. Way to go. That was a good guess though, Paris, because that's, a, <laughs> yeah, that that's was a also good guess. a girl's name. <laughs> I knew that that I knew it was gonna be either one of those two words that you're gonna guess. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, congratulations. What's her name? Oceana what? Mackenzie. Oh, nice. Yeah. Great. That's a great Australian name, Mackenzie. Yeah. All right. In 2023, two climbers required formal rescues after getting their knees stuck in cracks. Where did these incidents happen? Well, of course, one of them happened in Indian Creek on generic crack. That is correct. And and the second one, hmm, do I have I seen this story or not? Formal rescue, knee stuck in a crack. No, I don't got it. In January um, of la- of this year, a 25 year old woman got her knee stuck on Queen Victoria Spire in Sedona. Okay. I had no idea. Two, that, that's that kind of incredible. Two climbers, yeah. formal rescues after mm-hmm. getting their knees stuck in cracks. All right. So bonus question. What item was used in both cases to help free the climbers from the cracks? Ketamine. That's correct in one of them. <laughs> uh, um, olive oil. Dish soap. Dish soap. <laughs> I should have known that because they, they use that to get kids when they get their heads stuck between like banisters on stairs. They use, they use soap. They gave that one dude ketamine. Yeah, they gave him ketamine because he'd been in there for like 12 hours. <laughs> and they thought it would relax him. Yeah. But and the it, thing is, is that people are going to start getting their knees stuck in cracks just to get the ketamine. Yeah, just to go into the K-hole. <laughs> We can we just uh, give a quick tangent just to we're, we don't need to go into this, but I think our listeners would like to know that um, that you and I and Kelly Cordes had an epic text thread after the dude got his knee stuck on generic crack where we just had like jokes for days about this whole for incident days. and we were just laughing about the whole thing and mostly we're la- not laughing at the climber, but about the rescue, um, the rescue, the rescue. dudes. It, they, yeah. yeah, they like brought in like a helicopter. They set up like fires at the top of the cliff, and they were, yeah. it seemed like they were tailgating at like a, you know, at like a fucking concert, <laughs> like a Bills game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. And honestly, like I, I, I haven't done any investigative really research, but I feel like the anonymity of this gentleman has has remained, and um, it's a bummer because I honestly like. At this point in my career, I'm not interested in being like, oh, what a doofus. But I'm just like, dude, that's epic. Let's talk about it. Like, I mean, in some weird ways, it's like cool that the guy, I mean, 12 hours, like what the fuck's going on for 12 hours in your head (laughs) while your leg is falling asleep and you're thinking about, you know, Aaron Ralston and like, are they going to have to whack my leg? I mean, it's a fascinating like psychological thriller to find out what dog was taught was thinking about for for 12 hours you know so i wish i wish we could you know go further but as far as i know it's there's been i haven't seen anything on anywhere where his name was mentioned so yeah in both cases actually both the names are um not disclosed well i understand because i understand what the internet does to people like that yeah um but anyway if if you're out there, I would love to chat with you. We would love to chat with you. Absolutely. And, I mean, we could disguise your voice. So we don't. Whatever we need to do, and and not to make. We could fun all of do you. ketamine and have a. And Although we will probably podcast. make fun of you because it's it's worth making fun of a little bit, <laughs> right? Of I course. mean, we've all like had weird and dumb shit happen to us. Like, you know, it's strange. So anyhow, 
All right, here's a little bonus. Uh, you can get some bonus points on the board, Chris. Okay. You think? Who did the I I got this first one? descent of generic crack? <laughs> you don't know that? I, I figured this would be. It. I put this in specifically because I thought oh, it'd really? be softball for I'd you. I'd have to see. Uh, I'd have to say. Um, um, I'd have to say. Um, if it wasn't a Wiggins, then it was. Uh, it's slipping my mind. Um, uh, Jimmy Dunn was it? Jimmy Dunn. It was Jimmy Dunn. Ah, sweet. Jimmy Dunn and Brian Delaney. So good right. job. I'll give that to Thank you. Thank you. Got it. Nice. All right. This professional climber is born in Louisiana and among those laid off by Eddie Bauer, who cut their entire climbing team in lieu of sponsoring climbing influencers. Who am I talking about? Louisiana? Mm-hmm. Um, I have other hints. Uh, I can give you some more hints and, and you can try to get yeah, closer to Give me it. some more. I'm trying to think of who is on that team. Okay, this person has um, sent such iconic roots as Pichinbull in the Verdone, in the west face of Leaning Tower in a day, and the Phoenix, and Peace. I'll give you a Was hint. It it's, a, it's a woman. Okay. Hold on. Who was on that team? And Eddie Bauer team. Was it Paige? No, Paige was born in Estes Park. Paige um, was on the team and was cut, but that's not who, it, who this question is is asking about. And they sent peace. God, I should know that. That's impressive. That's super impressive. Can't can't get it. Katie Lambert. Ah, oh, of course, Katie Lambert. Yeah, I knew that <laughs> shit. Yeah, we talked about her dad at a record store. Yeah, down in Louisiana. Shit. Yeah. Yeah, of course. It's hard. It's hard to answer these, and I know that you, that you knew that. But um, she, yeah. And it, it, actually, this question's a bit of a um, not true because she was actually laid off by them before the big layoff that we were right. talked about on an earlier episode. I still would have um, got it. But she, I, I just put her in there because um, I, I think we both love Katie, and she's a rad climber, and, and she's just awesome. To give her a shout out. Um, and mm-hmm. it's what's also funny is that her profile is still up on the Eddie Bauer website as long as well as all of the other fuckers that they um, axed from their team. They still have yeah. all of their pages up as if they're as if they're people associated with their brand, which I think is crazy. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know how that web shit works because I've I've found many companies um, over the years have dead people on there mm-hmm. on their website as well. On occasion, because they don't get around to taking them down. Yeah. Um. After they've passed away, so yeah, it's just that's like, you know, the the TPS report has been sent to the web division to have some lackey deal with that, and they just haven't gotten around to it yet. So yeah. Well, clean up your shit, Eddie Bauer. If you're gonna fire yeah, all the all mm-hmm. these climbers, then at least fucking fix your website. You want to know something? Remember when we were kind of busting on Eddie Bauer as a climbing brand? Mm-hmm. I realized that I actually have a pair of Eddie Bauer pants that I fucking love. So <laughs> I don't climb in them. I lounge in them, but they're like <laughs> these nylon, uh, you know, they look like kind of nylon hiking pants, but they have a fleece line in them. They're mm-hmm. they're fleece lined. And Toasty. dude, I, I, I spend most of the winter in those things. So <laughs> if it's not the the flannel Carhartts, then it's these, uh, these Eddie Bauer pants. So. Well, if there's a climbing brand that uh, still supports climbing that wants to send Kalus some some new pants to lounge in, um, I'm sure you'd be open to taking your 
your pants. Yes, you're lined. They have to be fleece or flannel lined pants for, for you know, just being around. Also camping. Like when you get down from the cliff, you put those on. Yeah, dude, you're talking about the, the, yeah. the sweatpants master here. <laughs> um, all right. Sean Villanueva, O'Driscoll, and this person freed an old age route on the west face of a Guha Guillemet at 513B. Who was Sean climbing with? Siba Van He. I'll give you a hint. Okay. He's a boy of girth. A boy of girth? I'll give you another hint. In 2014, he flashed free rider. Oh, is it James Lucas? <laughs> <laughs> James didn't flash free rider. Oh, you're right. He's from the UK. Um, Pete Whitaker? That's right. All right. <laughs> well, I don't know if boy of girth makes sense, but I was thinking wide boys. <laughs> but that would be too obvious to say. <laughs> God damn, my brain is fucking shot, dude. Okay. It really is. Like I'm having terrible recall problems at the moment. Yeah, this is a this is a hard test that you're taking right now, Chris. Thanks. I would not want to be in your yeah. position. Well, you know, I had the pukathon last night too, which means I didn't sleep very much. So <laughs> Okay. All of these climbing areas closed due to either birds, flood, fire, or geological event. Which one was which? Okay, so it's birds, flood, fire, or geological event. Bishop. Flood. Rifle. Also a flood? Yes. Yosemite. Fires. Eh. And geological event. Yes, that's correct. Part of it, yeah. Because there was a new 510 crack that Yes, yeah, the, five, up, the yeah. new 510, yeah. North Cascades National Park. What were, my, what were, the, what were the, the... Birds, flood, fire, or geological event. Fire? Yes. Nova Scotia. Birds. Fire. Snowpatch Spire. Geological event. Correct. Devil's Tower. They have a raptor closing. Yes. As well as a voluntary closing of in June for Native American. Nice job. You get points for that. Thanks. Okay. Who became the first woman to climb a V sixteen earlier this year? Was it Well wait a second, hold on. Didn't Yosemite also have some fire issues? No. I'm not wrong about that this year, huh? Okay. Um, I don't know if they closed from fire, but I ah. think there, I'm sure there was fires. Um, okay. So Bishop who, Rider on the flood thing? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Remember, yeah, the there was, was the whole spring time. break was like closed, and there was yeah. um, they, there was all these like scare photos on Instagram fr- from people telling everyone to stay away because the roads are so haggard, and then. Some climbers like then rode into us from, yeah. they were like, dude, we were out there like last week and it was totally fine. <laughs> 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 okay. Who became the first woman to climb a V16 earlier this year? Was it Brooke Rabatou, Natalia Grossman, Katie Lamb, or Alex Puccio? Who was the first one? Brooke Rabatou, Natalia yes. Grossman, Katie Brooke Lamb. Brooke Rabatou. Eh, it was Katie eh. Lamb. Ah. And she climbed box therapy. You knew I was never getting that one. I knew you weren't. So here's a follow-up that you're also not going to get. Which of these women I just named repeated box therapy and downgraded it to V15? Brooke Rabatou. Well, Katie Lamb climbed it. So which of the women? I know, but then she did it again and was like, this is piss. (laughs) (laughs) 
Am I wrong? No. You're wrong. Yeah. Brick <laughs> okay. Rabbit 2 uh, climbed right. it after Katie Lamb and downgraded it to V15. Actually, see, that's that's what I thought. But um, <laughs> <laughs> there's no there's no uh, there's no sort of um, there's no currency in in downgrading it on the second ascent. Yeah, I know it just gets yeah. swept under the rug. Well, because you want it to be what it was named, mm-hmm. you know, because you did the second ascent. So it's only after that then things start get downgraded, in my opinion. But that would have been sick though if she had just like sent it again immediately and been like, "This isn't that hard, you guys." One of these household items was found on a rock climb at a crag in Canada. What was it? <laughs> was it back bacon? Was it A, razor that's a deep, blades? That's a deep cut right there. Okay, was it B, axle grease? Was it C, a mouse trap? Or D, a dildo? I wish it was a dildo, but I think it's a mouse trap. That's correct. All right. Did you know that? <laughs> I kind of remember that story for some reason, yeah. yeah. <laughs> some crag in the Yukon there is mouse traps placed on some uh, oh that's right it was in the Yukon because yeah. I remember I made some comment about the Yukon climbing and got some hackles up but um it is it is a well-known part of rifle lore that there was a there's a sit-down rest in the middle of Anifil that mm-hmm. um for at least one season had a giant purple dildo uh, epoxied to it to keep people from sitting down on it. Yeah, it was considered uncool and degrading of the the glory of the antifil to sit down on the on that ledge. And a, a friend of ours who we might not name put a dildo on the on the ledge in order to deter yes. or perhaps entice deter people. or attract to sit down. Yeah. <laughs> um, Chris. I feel bad for you on this one because I know you're not going to get any of these right. <sighs> but um, six Americans have climbed, have qualified for the Olympics this year. And I'll give you a point if you can name for everyone that you can name. Six? So far, six Americans have qualified for the Olympics Jesus. in 2024. Can Natalia you- Grossman? That's correct. That's one. All right. Uh, Nathaniel Coleman? Nope. Ah, um, uh, what's the kid with the big ears? The, that's correct. I'll give it to you. His name is Colin Duffy. <laughs> Colin Duffy. Yeah, Colin Duffy. <laughs> All right. I know you're not going to get the rest. So the rest are Jesse Gruper, uh, Emma oh, yeah. Hunt. I actually knew that. Piper Kelly and Samuel Watson have thus far oh, qualified. Killer. So congrats to them. We'll be following them close so closely next year i will i yeah. will um okay a new do we mentor- have anyone qualified wait wait do we have anyone qualified for speed climbing yet yeah two emma is that uh, two of those sorry three um okay. emma hunt piper kelly and samuel watson are all speed climbers. those guys are all speed climbers mm-hmm. oh sick all yeah right. Yep, and then the rest are the um colin natalia and jesse have qualified for this um lead slash boulder event okay cool so they're not doing like the two by two thing this time around um well there's two women for speed and then one man and so there's still going to be more events where you could potentially get in so this is just no i'm saying that like last time wasn't it like two people from each country or whatever you can only have two Uh, from each country or some shit like that um i don't know i actually don't know what the deal remember i mean it was like one dude and one girl from each yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. Yep. So they're not doing that. No. They're not doing that. 
These are, so I, this field. is maybe part of just the Olympic team. I'm not sure like how that works. Oh, okay. So then they got to figure out who's going to compete. Perhaps we All should right. probably figure that out. We'll figure okay. that out whenever the Olympics are, and then we can talk about it. Or after, right afterwards. Or right after. <laughs> All right. A new mentorship program launched for people of equity-deserving genders in British Columbia. What is the name of this new program? Is it A, Babes in the Bluffs, B, Rise Up, C, Climb Queer, No Fear, or D, Babes, Buddies, Belays? (laughs) (laughs) I got to be careful what I guess. Um, Rise Up. (laughs) Eh. It's Babes in the Bluffs. Oh, okay. Yeah. I just threw that in there because it was the most random story I read. And uh, I thought I knew that you would never get that. But But, uh, Babes in the Bluffs is a new initiative stated that that through community building, peer-to-peer learning and skills workshops, our goal is to build a safe and empowering community where people can show up as their full selves and feel inspired to challenge themselves without fear of failure. So check Hmm. out. Babes in the Bluffs. They've got an Instagram page. Okay. And um, and we should probably create our own uh, Instagram accounts for the rest of those, Chris, because people will probably be looking for those too. <laughs> going to be stealing those. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One of these climbing legends did not die in 2023. Who was it? Tom Hornbein, Hermano Salvatera, Ammon McNeely, Jim Whitaker, Dimitri Golvenchko, Tenjin Lama Sherpa. Is Jim Whitaker still alive? You tell me. That's my guess. That's correct. Jim Whitaker is the only one of those uh, on the list who's still alive, and I think he's in his like mid nineties. Um, he was part of the first descent of Everest, but still alive. First descent, first American, first American descent. Yeah, nineteen sixty-three yeah. or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what was the name of the man who was arrested for attempted murder in advance of his plan to shoot up a Crag and Classic event at Smith Rock? Was it A, Eli Daniel Weaver, B, Caleb Isaiah Shepard, C, Samson Zebteriah Garner, or D, Ezekiel Gideon Anderson? <laughs> I love your made-up names because you also tried to bring in like some sort of biblical shit into them. But I happen to know it's the Zeb guy. <laughs> I'm surprised you got that. I would not have gotten No, because I made some comment about like, that's what you get when you name your kid Zebleon. Yeah, but, um, Samson Zebterite. But yeah, I love your Gideon one. That was good. That was a nice, nice uh, red herring kind of like. Because <laughs> you knew, you know. <laughs> it's some yeah it's some like you know homeschool christian weirdo for sure so anyway and we can only joke about this because the the motherfucker was caught yeah beforehand so anyhow it would not be a joking matter had he gone through with his uh oh, of course his intentions okay last question chris this is the this is the finale here all right so you have to guess whether the names I read to you are Olympic level speed climbers or IKEA furniture. <laughs> okay. Okay. This is gonna get me in the in the sort of 
cultural hothouse here or whatever. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. Okay. Billy Veskin. That sounds like a person. I'll go with an actual human speed climber. That's that's wrong. That's Ikea. <laughs> no, it's not. Zach Hammer. Yeah. Um, Zach Hammer. <laughs> Once again, I hope it's a person. That's a great name. Zach Hammer. That's correct. He's but, a, a USA climber. Okay, he is. Oh, he is. Okay, cool. Shanaz and Defard. Real person. Wow, how'd you guess that? I don't know. Just fe- I'm just feeling my way through these ones. So that's actually, that's you. a last name that is a, a speed climber that you know. I didn't actually know this was his real last name, but that's Reza Alipour's oh. real last name. Oh, okay. What's what's his? Shanaz and Defard. It's Reza Alipour, Shanaz and Defard is his full oh, okay. full name, but I think he just goes by okay, Reza cool. Alipour. Um, I didn't re- I didn't read his first two names because then you would have obviously known, but <laughs> right, yeah, because that's the one speed climb right now. We all know. Okay, Vinter Rockspar Aftensparv. That sounds like some fucking furniture dog. Yeah, IKEA. Okay, yeah, Kiromel Katabin. Person. Correct. He's from Indonesia. Okay. Oh. He. He. Okay. Desak made Rita Kusama Dewi. That's that's too sort of um like Asian sounding for a piece of IKEA furniture. So I'm going with person. That's correct, and that is their full okay. name. And it's a woman who's qualified for for the Olympics, actually, from Indonesia. From where? Okay, see, that's what I thought. Yeah. Dagfrid Trofast. Furniture. You're correct. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris. I think you got at least like I did pretty good on 10 that points, one. Probably. <laughs> I'm impressed. You did. You you so, you really nailed that one. I was expecting you to to stump you a little bit more on that. So is Reza like? Is he aged out or is he still in the mix? In terms of like the, the guy to beat, yeah, and and to you know, is he still sort of the Yanya of speed climbing? I don't know if he's the best or not, but I I follow him oh. on Instagram and he's an yeah, impressive physical specimen. Impressive. Yes. I mean, that's the thing is I haven't seen a ton of like actual speed climbing content on there. Yeah. Lately, it's mostly like sexy photos mm-hmm. of him and his muscles. <laughs> so that's what I was kind of wondering because, I mean, he's been in the game a long time. So he, he might be sort of one of those like old man mentors of the sport now. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know what's up with him in terms of his mm. Olympic aspirations or if he's trying to qualify or what, but um, give him a follow if you want to follow some sexy muscles moving quickly between holds. Yeah. Guy's a specimen for sure. All right, Chris, that's all I have for you. Um, that's our 2023 wrap. And mm-hmm. um, what do you think? Um, I didn't do too bad. No, you did good. All right. I'm I'm psyched. Yeah. It seems like that, you know, that's pretty much everything, right? We covered everything that happened in 2023. As far as we know. Yeah. <laughs> and if we don't know, the internet will tell us. I can't believe you didn't talk about X, Y, and Z. <laughs> Our answer is there's no comedy in that, sir. Because <laughs> you know it'll be a sir. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Uh, We'll see you next year.
Alex Waterhouse and Billy Reedall are 26-year-old climbers from England who have been focused on indoor comps since they were 12. Despite having never climbed a big wall or really done much trad climbing at all, they went to Yosemite and came away with a team-free ascent of the nose of El Capitan. Well, first of all, thanks for coming on the show. You know, I just got so much joy from uh, watching your media that came out with The Ascent when I heard about it, when I first started to hear about it and look back. And uh, it was just really fun. And, and you guys seem to be having a great time together. In a video I watched, Alex, you talked about the partnership being so important and, and this being like a two-person thing versus, you know, all by yourself on a project. So I'd love you guys to start just by describing your friendship, just to set the scene, because it was so clear that you guys are, are really tight and having a great time up there. And I don't know, Alex, maybe you can start. Yeah, uh, this is Alex. So I've, first off, thanks for having us on, guys. It's like super cool to, I've like listened to your podcast for a, for a long time. So it's cool to, cool oh, to be cool. a part of it. Appreciate it. Uh, so yeah, me, me and Billy have been friends for 15 years, something like that. So we, we started lines, yeah. together in comp. So when we were like 11 or 12, we were in the same category. So, so competing against each other. And I just, we've just been friends all the way through so we went on like a big road trip for europe together me my dad and billy in the back of a van in 2016 for like four weeks and then uh, over the last few years especially we've been competing together on the world cup circuit sort of like close bond over uh lockdown we were like basically living together like cooking together training together every single day so we're like pretty close <laughs> up until before this point so our like friendship Obviously, we like support each other, love each other, want each of us to succeed, but we have just enough competitiveness between each other that it helps drive us. So training with Bill's great because I always get a little bit of extra boost. So um, <laughs> having this partnership going into like a big wall expedition where, frankly, we both didn't have a clue what we were doing was pretty special. Yeah, this is this Billy. When whenever we like initially both had ideas about going on a on a big wall, like for me at least. Alex was sort of the only person that made sense for me to be be up there with, like, because we have this long history competing together, um, and yeah, we've been we've had like a close bond through our climbing. It's and being going into an environment like being on a big wall, which is so foreign to us. Like, I felt like it was kind of essential that the the partnership was really solid, and that we would figure we'd be able to figure things out together, and we wouldn't like be at one another's throats, and we sort of fully understand each other's little gimmicks i guess and like how to how to navigate one another basically yeah that was like a, a big part of why it was the two of us being up there Cause yeah we've as i like said yeah we've trained together we've like been through blood sweat and tears trying to compete on the world cups together like it's a yeah it's been a long partnership before we decided we were going to be a big wall partnership so big walling is like way more partnership focused than any other type of climbing that i've done before like normally even if you're working a project with somebody it's it's like a very individual experience with this like you're doing everything you're keeping each other safe you're carrying each other's water you're hauling crap for the other person setting pooping up camp next together, to each like, other I, there's yeah. nothing better than look locking eyes while you're pooping in a bag like <laughs> so it's, a, it's a special experience we were holding hands whilst we were doing it weren't we yeah it was important <laughs> shared experiences <laughs> there's this funny um well it's not funny but there's just a joke about that i've heard climbers kind of make use of um where you know 
you kind of put off your retirement, like some part of climbing into retirement. So like if you're a sport <laughs> climber, you might say, oh, I could always, you know, hike up that snowy mountain when I'm in my 60s and I can't crush hard anymore. You guys have brought a new dimension to this joke by in your comp retirement, you know, you're free climbing the nose. It speaks, I think, to just how high level comp climbers really are. And um, but there's kind of this idea that the gulf between the skills that you would need to be like a high level comp climber and then do something like free climb a big wall or so great that it would take, you know, there must be some kind of drastic learning process, but maybe you guys could just speak to what that process was like for, you know, going from, you know, this world of plastic into the, you know, the big, big wall adventure climbing. Alex, why don't you start with that? There's a few different aspects of this. So the climbing part of it, is kind of squared away more so than it would be for other people. So that's that's like a in the first instance we didn't have to think about that quite so much. Like obviously the style transition for Yosemite Granite was pretty significant, but we knew coming into this we had the climbing level to get this done. So we could kind of as opposed to comps where that's all you're focused on is climbing level. There's much less like tactics and skills to learn. Coming into big walling we kind of made a list of the skills we were going to need. And it's actually not that significant when you get into it, right? So it's general multi-pitching skills. So I've done a little bit of that in the past and and Billy has, but there's actually not a huge amount to learn there. But then the kind of safety and logistics on the wall, we made the choice to kind of bite off chunks slowly. So when we got to Yosemite, first hauling up the east ledges, that was our first experience of hauling like a full-size bag was going up the east ledges and, and hiking to the top. Um, Wrapping in from the top and jugging out to work changing corners was a really good, like, small chunk of that skill. And, and we were making mistakes kind of all the, all the way along. But because we didn't do every single thing together, if we'd have just hopped on the wall, I think we'd have gotten a situation where the mistakes started to compound and we were in a bad situation. But because we kind of did it slowly, we never really got in a situation where it was that big of a struggle. And I, I just think that, like, there's definitely some, some technical skill there, but it's not that hard once you sort of unpack it bit by bit. So it's it sounds like work. you you you, uh, you broke it down into small chunks and kind of bit off what you could chew. Billy, was there a moment that you felt like you were just out of your element at any point during <laughs> this experience? Uh, yes, several, I would say. I mean, the, the obvious first one is just the first time that we uh, wrapped off the top because the first day that we got there, we like climbed up the first few pitches just to like have a play and just get a sense of what it was like on, on El Cap. And that's not too far beyond the realms of what I've done before. I'd only done like three or four pitches in a row before this, but like I, I did understand like <laughs> I'd done a bit of multi-pitching at least, but rappelling off the top and suddenly having 3000 feet of exposure. And that was just a totally, a totally different thing for me. And every little, little thing that is, seemingly safe but you can sort of have an irrational thought about being dangerous like your rope sliding across like basically a smooth bit of bit of rock that is never going to cut it but when i like feel so out of my element in that position like that feels like imminent doom and like swinging around like not trusting like a three bolt anchor or something because i'm three thousand feet up and i'm basically shitting myself <laughs> um yeah the the first day that we we repelled down like we were trying changing corners and we were both so spooked that we had two top ropes 
Like we had one one top rope that we were at, had like a top rope solo set up on and then a second top rope which we were just attached to on a grigri just this yeah the idea of being on a single rope which is which would be totally fine like Those are Jared Leto off the ground, but like <laughs> that far up up L cap um it seemed necessary at the time that two ropes was the only sensible thing um fortunately over the course of the month we we acclimatized for the situation a little bit and we didn't have to get quite overboard as that on the on the safety side of things. And we can sort of dim it down to a regular person's level rather than that. So even on the first day when we when we got to the nose and just I think we did seven pitches on that first day. We just wanted to climb and, and free climb as far as we could. We got up into the snowflakes, which is kind of one of the more exposed bits on the nose. And that like El Cap midday wind was buffeting. And at that point, I was starting to feel a bit scared, like uncomfortable this is a pretty significant amount of exposure for, for little old me and I'm cold and I'm, I've, we've still got to wrap off. Like at that point it was like, Oh, okay. Quite what are we doing here? Like we've only climbed two 12 day pitches and we've taken some big whips and I'm not feeling that comfortable in this situation. Um, <laughs> that moment I was like, hmm, okay, we've committed to this and I'm not sure that this is a very good idea. And there are a few moments like that. Yeah. And on that same day, when we started to rappel down literally the first, first one that we did i went straight past the anchor and didn't really know how to get myself back up two ropes so i was just like dangling around in space kind of a, a bit spooked not really knowing like a, an effective method to go back up two ropes so rather than like like talking to alex and figuring out something sensible i was there with two jumars like one on each rope trying to use them simultaneously which is like <laughs> A terrible idea, it turns out. <laughs> but I was just like, yeah, exactly. Like, on the stove legs, it's windy and getting dark and we're getting a bit scared and decision-making was a little bit questionable. We saw it out and I got back to the anchor and it was fine. But, yeah, like that, we had a few little instances like that early on where we were just doing slightly silly things and being unreasonably spooked by, like, the exposure to the situation, basically. But kind of when all of this is happening, as it's getting dark and it's windy and you're cold and you've been climbing all day and your skin hurts, like that's where you start to stay, make silly decisions. Um, and, and that's where stuff could start to go wrong. So like I was talking about, with, if that had happened in the rain or in the dark in the rain, that's a very different kettle of fish, right? That's a, that's a compounding of errors where actually you start to get into a silly situation quite quickly. But as with all things, you get down, you watch a YouTube video and it's all good to go. <laughs> No yeah, one's going to do, do that. I now do know how to uh, ascend back up twin ropes. Not that we needed to do it because I managed to not add past any more anchors, but <laughs> we learned on the job. Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing about this ascent and what I think has you know, been used to grab everybody's attention, not by you guys, but by all the headlines, is like basically like, comp guys, climb the nose, you know. It's a great sort of clickbaity thing and it and but it implies yeah. like, you know, you just basically like stepped off some podium somewhere and got on an airplane and, and uh and came and did the nose. But can you can you actually I mean maybe that's what I'm asking. Maybe it is true. Maybe it's right in there, but maybe just set up a little bit of your experience. I mean, you've climbed outdoors certainly and you know, there's definitely younger comp climbers now that literally almost never have. But you know, you talked about trips to Spain and certainly being from where you are like you've got to get out on some rock and maybe even do some trad climbing just to keep climbing in a in a place like the uk so 
tell us a little bit about your your true backgrounds as far as what skills you did have ready to go that weren't specific to plastic and maybe billy you can start yeah sure so i would say both me and alex are at the very end of the generation of competition climbers which also kind of grew up rock climbing at least a little bit like when i was getting into into climbing like there still weren't that many gyms uh, i went outside climbing pretty early on and that was as as valid an avenue as competition climbing was in my yeah in my sort of formative years so i would say i kind of did quite a lot of both as a kid and then as i got to ad- adulthood and just sort of had this pathway towards competing at the world cups that's kind of when i made the decision that i was going to be actually be a competition climber because at that level that's what it demands or at least neither of us really had the wiggle room to compete at the world cup level unless we were completely all in like you have like Jakob and adam and alex or whatever who are like the best in the world and so they can like sort of dip in and out for us it's like if we're going to do this we have to do it and we're going to go all in and so for yeah several years the world cups was kind of the the primary focus that we were going for and we made this a conscious decision to put rock climbing on the back burner and just do it so for a bit of fun rather than it ever being the priority but that doesn't mean that we were never rock climbing so yeah i did a lot of a lot of sport and a lot of sport when i was a kid mostly bouldering when i've been a little bit older and um, i would say I'm, I'm a pretty experienced outdoor boulderer and um, trad like not that experienced despite being in the peak district there's obviously a really strong ethic of it here uh i did a bit of it when i was younger uh, i had a couple scares actually when i was a teenager i like fell off and ripped a bit of gear and landed on my b layer i think that's ripped. just isn't that just like yeah that's pretty tragic I mean. yes, that's, like, that's like a normal that's a normal day out yeah like you put in like a single <laughs> chossy rp and you're like yeah yeah that's probably good and then you crack on um, <laughs> But yeah, so I had like a bit of a circumstance where I yeah I ripped out a bit of gear and landed on my belay, and I was actually totally fine, but he, the the guy I landed on was in a bit of a bad way. And then I had another circumstance where I like kicked my gear out, um, and this was all when I was like fifteen, sixteen, uh, and then like shied away from it because <laughs> like kind of like scary instances that I'd had, uh, and haven't really done much of it since then very much consider myself pretty much a beginner really when it comes to actual trad climbing especially uk trad when it's like it's so finicky with like niche specialist bits of gear and you have to be you have to be really in it to sort of understand how to make it safe and that's not a part of my climbing which i'm experienced in at all so yeah coming coming to the us it was like Figuring out how to just trad climb was as big a priority for me as figuring out how to big wall climb. So I didn't really particularly know how to do. I knew how to trad climb, but I wasn't confident. I was very much scared of falling off, basically. Um, I will say that US trad is much more approachable if you're climbing at a hard level. In the UK, if you come into it climbing hard and you want to kind of push yourself, it gets dangerous really fast. There are not that many physically hard routes that end up being safe. Whereas in the US, if it gets scary, they put a bolt in and you're 
good to go. Like I, I very rarely found myself in a situation where I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm not very happy here. Um, I've always climbed outside, like lots of sport trips and bouldering trips growing up. Like maybe I'd, I'd climb outside like two ish weeks a year. Um, plus like little trips during the year. So, and I've, we've both climbed hard sport, like up to eight C plus nine A and hard bouldering, obviously like growing up, that kind of comes along with that's, that's kind of easy to manage with comp climbing. Um, track climbing, most of my experience is big multi-pitch five sevens in like red rocks. That's essentially all the track climbing I've done. We've, we, at the beginning of the year, when we were planning this trip, we went out and climbed one E seven in the peak district, which was fantastic, but it was essentially a boulder problem to two cams and then top it out. So that is pretty much the extent of my hard track climbing before this. Um, <laughs> two place, two cams. But, well, that's the, the British way. Uh, seven, seven C boulder problem, place a cam and then do an easy top out. Basically. <laughs> Perfect prep. It's amazing. Um, I'd like to talk a a bit about the style that you guys sent the route in and, um, maybe you could talk about how you, uh, well, what style you used and how you came to land on that, because there's kind of many approaches to claiming a free ascent of a big wall as you guys are maybe aware of. When we started this, our goal was to go and free climb the nose. That was, that was our entire conception of what ethics on a big wall looked like, what style was. Um, Obviously, as we've got more into the project, we came to the pretty obvious now conclusion that there's a huge variety in what that style looks like. Now, it seems like the gold standard is fully unsupported, ground up in a day, L cap. That wasn't reasonable for us on the nose. And I don't think it is for very many people. Um, we, we wanted our ascent to be, we wanted to go from the ground, freeing all the pitches um, as a team, and then uh, both leading the two crutch pitches. So changing corners on the great roof. Um, we wanted to do that kind of under our own steam, but beyond that, we weren't too fussed. So we came in for the top to work changing corners. So it's four pitches down uh, from the top. So we used, we would wrap in with four ropes and then wrap out, uh, jog out at the end of the day when we were working it. If we were there for, if we weren't coming back, like if we were going to take a rest day, we would take all the ropes down. And then for the send, we pushed uh, a bag up to Dalt Tower. So it's like 10 pitches came down for a couple of days and then went up to meet it. And we also stashed about 20 liters of water, four gallons of water at camp six um, from the top. So it's actually quite difficult to come to a conclusion. Like free climbing on El Cap is not particularly well documented. The, the majority of our information comes from videos of people climbing, articles people have written. Like we didn't know anybody really who've done, who's done a lot of big wall free climbing. So it's kind of hard to have those conversations. We were doing our best to kind of get that on the fly. So we had a long discussion with a, a set of climbing rangers who we met on the top, who kind of obviously their, their perspective is kind of very fixed from the, the park service rules, but it was good to have a conversation with them and a back and forth of like, okay, this is what we're planning to do. How can we manage that in, as, in a way that's as, as solid as possible? Especially on the nose, there's this fight between doing it in as good a style as possible and also not getting in the way of, of people. It's a busy route. There's people on there all the time. So if we were to go ground up every single time, we would be sitting in on ledges that people wanted to sleep on. We would be on pitches that people wanted to get on. So we wanted to kind of manage being in the way of people on their ascents. And they're like, they're climbing the nose. That's sick. Like we don't want to get in their way, but also like we've got to try and work the pitches that are really quite hard for us. You actually, it's interesting. You bring up the people that were, were on the wall. It seems like you kind of, I don't know, almost like there was this little community that was uh, involved in your ascent as people were coming through and passing you. I think 
it looks like in, in some of it they you handed them the camera and they filmed you guys talking i don't know because you didn't have a you didn't have a um any sort of photographer with you but uh some of the shots are of the two of you talking so um tell me a little bit about the community the p- people you met you know i've talked to plenty of people who have just a great time up there and everybody gets along and and it's fun and sometimes you meet celebrities you know that are s- swinging through over a couple hours or whatever but then other people have talked about like having these you know these little battles with people who are going slower or who think other people are in the way or aren't doing it in a style that they like so uh what came up on your ascent and your your sort of little nose community that formed yes i would say for for the vast vast majority of it it was just it was really lovely and you you have this instant sense of camaraderie with these people because like you're halfway up a big wall like like this is sick let's like enjoy it together so most people were just really psyched and i it was it was cool for them to just be interacting with other people most people were like really excited and supported that we we were trying to free it there was probably like the the odd interaction that would maybe start like a little bit a little bit not maybe not frosty but like not immediately super friendly and it's difficult because we are doing different from the norm like we're we're literally going in the opposite direction when we're wa- working it and like like repelling down and like being on the same pitch for a, a long period of time is tricky if there's if there's people trying to come through so basically we just tried to be as considerate as we possibly could and when it got busy we would just get ourselves out of the way basically like there was one circumstance where we were on we we're on camp six which is the uh the ledge directly below changing corners like 25 pitches up um an aid party came in and they started up the route so we like got down like waited on the waited on the ledge was like letting them get on with it and then i think a second aid party arrived and then a like pretty speedy naiad party arrived as well and then a really speedy naiad party arrived and there was like <laughs> 10 of us on the ledge simultaneously and like four people trying to lead the pitch all at the same time. And we're like, oh my God, this is chaos. It's like, one of them was like Hans Florine. He's there like, everything's so like, it's such a clusterfuck with all the gear that he just like clips this like rusty old peg and is like, shouts down to his beat as second, like that's all you deserve. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was chaos. But like, yeah, everyone was just like psyched really just having a good time up there. Um, I don't think we, we, we didn't have any like actually unpleasant interactions with anybody, I wouldn't say. And we pretty much met everybody on the nose for the entire month that we were there, whether or not we were like going up or down the route or going up or down the east ledges. Uh, we pretty much said hi to, to everybody, I think. Probably the thing that was that caused the most people concerned was fixed routes from the top. So obviously we mm-hmm. wrapped in and we didn't want to have to climb out every single day. So we, we fixed ropes down. I can understand why if you've climbed all the way up the nose and then you get to the top and there's fixed ropes hanging down the top four pitches on your ascent, that can be, it can take away a little bit of the jeopardy. Um, so I, it's kind of a, I can understand why people felt that way. But I, I will say of the big wall community, everybody seems exceedingly psyched. Compared to bouldering, where it seems like everybody's just disappointed that they're not performing the whole time, everybody on a big wall has put themselves into a stupid situation and is and is enjoying that. Like they are there to suffer, and if they're suffering, that's perfect. Like, and everybody's just like way more enthusiastic, way more psyched. Like, might just be being in America, but being up there on on El Cap, like people are pretty good to go, and it, it helps to, like keep our energy up. If we're having a bad session or whatever, somebody comes through and is like four pitches from topping out the nose. It's like they're 
project of the season. That's sick. Like, I'm so psyched to see people like that. The fact that you can be up there as, what, 5'10", 5'11", climber, up on El Cap, like, topping out the nose. Ridiculous. Insane. Like, so to, to kind of, it was cool to feed off of everybody's psych and, and use that to drive, drive us on, even if we were having a bad day. Yeah, so t- tell us about how hard the crux pitches were for each of you. Do you feel like the ratings reflected the the difficulty accurately? Were there any surprises with the changing corners or the great roof? Or what was the crux for each of you? Maybe you want to start, Billy. I would say, for the most part, the the grades were were mostly what I would expect. With a couple of exceptions of like theoretically easy pitches down low, which I actually thought were pretty hard. Uh, and then changing corners, which yeah, it gets 14A. I had no real sense coming into it what 14A, 25 pitches up, when it's like a squirmy granite groove with pin scars. I have no concept really of what that means. And all of my reference points for that are like European limestone. So if I do a direct comparison to what I would expect myself on european limestone it's way harder it's way 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 harder like it 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 didn't feel like a 514a experience that i've ever had but i don't know whether that means it's it is harder or whether it's just harder to do or it's just a style that i'm really unfamiliar with something that me and alex have spoken about quite a lot is stylistically the only thing we've really drawn a comparison from is competition style slab climbing where it's like really tenuous smeary feet which are slippery pu and dual texture and like intentionally insecure to make you slip off as much as possible that is kind of the only thing that feels kind of similar like it, it seems like some nasty sadistic roots that are put all the folds on to be as slippery as possible and like made all the positions as weird as they possibly could so that you can't figure them out quickly yeah changing corners was really hard and it a lot it took a long time just to sort of figure out functioning sequences and wrap your head around how to read the rock and how to move in that way to really get away from the sense of climbing with four limbs and climbing with your whole body and like using a bit of a knee or a bit of a hip or fully getting your back into it or like putting your face on it a little bit or whatever like doing literally anything that'll work that'll give you just a little bit more purchase being comfortable with the insecurity of it for sustained periods like i've not had it very often where you'll get barely a position for a breather the whole time but not because it's physically really difficult but just because at any given moment it feels like you might slip off so yeah it was just a lot of a lot to adapt to on that pitch and yeah whether or not that means that grade is it's harder i don't know but it was definitely hard for me and harder than i was expecting coming into it like just from a 14a grade i wouldn't expect it to feel nearly as limit as it did i i I pretty much agree with what billy said like it took me seven sessions to link just the crux section um once and i that's the longest i've ever spent on a project um the the insecurity is so sustained that it's even if you make one mistake it starts to compound into the next moves and the next move feels a little bit harder and the next move feels a little bit harder after that and there's only so much of that that you can manage before you fall off and there is always the chance that we just did it totally wrong like the sequence that we found worked for us and 
there's such a variety in the sequences that you can do that it might be that something totally different would have been a lot easier for us. But it's so hard to, when you're in the process and it's taken a session to even pull on in, in half the positions and you can imagine a sequence between them to try a totally different set of moves that, that will also take a session to even start to understand. Um, changing corners gets done in a lot of different ways. So from Linz versus Ascent, she gets into the groove really quickly and, and kind of squirms inside of the groove almost the entire time. Um, to- that's totally inconceivable to me. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, uh, Babsy and Jacopo, the pods in the back were wet when they were trying it. I think a storm had come in and, and soaked them. So they ended up finding a sequence where they stayed on the arete the whole time and just lay backed it until they came in at sort of at the better holds up top. I- I- again, that seems totally insane to me. But we kind of ended up in the middle where we go into the groove, out the groove, into the groove, out the groove, using kind of the better pods in the back. It might be that if we'd have just stayed outside for all of those seven sessions, we'd have got through and it would have been quite steady. Or if we'd have spent a lot longer trying to figure out the, the squirm up the groove, like that would have been easier as well. But it's like at a certain point, you've just got with the limited time, you've just got to commit to a sequence that you know works and, and, and run with it. By the time we went for the push, it felt just about possible, but absolutely not likely. Yeah, I would say for... So Alex, as you said, he on like the seventh session, the last session that we spent working the pitch, Alex linked it. Uh, I'd never done it in more than two sections before we went for the we went for the push because I bet I would have wanted more time working it, but I had a flight home. And we were running out of time. Like we had to go for the push, so we just sort of cracked on and we're going to go and roll the dice. But in my head, I, I was going to have linked the whole pitch before we went for it to sort of feel like I had any chance of actually doing it when we got there for the ground. So I was really not confident about that pitch coming coming into the into the main push. Great roof, the the other sort of obvious crooks pitch, I was pretty optimistic about. I also hadn't linked it, but I'd fallen off the last move twice. And we'd only had two sessions on the great roof because it's such a pain to get to. We literally repelled the entirety of El Cap just so that we could we could work the great roof. We just like stopped on it on the way past, basically. So I was quite confident about Great Roof. Alex, not quite. I mean, I was very confident, but Alex, maybe not quite as confident on Great Roof. The Great Roof is really, it's a lot more physical. As in, you get quite pumped during the thing in both your arms and your legs, which means that on changing corners, you can have as many goes as you like over four days and you're not going to like physically deplete yourself all that much. But if you have two, three goes on Great Roof and you, you make mistakes and you fall off pumped, that's a massive physical load on your body and it's going to make the next goes a lot harder. So it's like, yes, it was easier and I felt confident that I could do it like within a few goes. If it went, if that started to, to roll and I was making mistakes, then it was only going to get worse. So I didn't feel like I could kind of get a good reset in between. You guys also had a proper adventure up there because there was a couple of days of rain, which, uh, you know, is, is an interesting thing to have happen anytime but you know you guys are new to portal edges you're new to all that sort of stuff so fill us in on on that kind of part of the adventure and and what that added you know and also if it may if you felt like it it made everything else harder so we were planning for seven days on the wall um with billy two rest days and then seven days on the wall like leave it on the the line and billy got home the next day um the day we pushed our bag up and, and took our first rest day, we saw that there was rain in the forecast for what would have been day three uh, or day two. So we made the decision to leave a day early 
and sit through the rain, however long that was going to be. And there was this kind of broad spectrum of forecasts from, ah, nah, you'll be all right. It's not really going to rain to it's going to rain continuously for 48 hours and like you're going to suffer. Um, the thought of sitting through the rain for two days, I think was quite different from the reality of sitting there for two days. Um, we got there, set up the portal edge and fly for the first time, obviously, because nobody's ever set up a fly before it's actually raining. Um, so to, for context, we'd borrowed the, the portal edge from Tom Randall and it was old when he got it about 10 years ago. Um, and he traded it for, from a Yosemite old boy in the Valley. Uh, and it was like an old A5, like from the eighties or the nineties, but the fit is a piece of shit. Like four straps broken around the outside. We were like trying to adjust it to stay flat. And we were like having to remake all the straps out of cord. Um, so naturally we thought that the fly would be the most waterproof bomb proof thing in the entire world um which turned out to not be the case so uh got in there in the rain for the first time and just immediately it's dripping like i there are drips coming down onto my face like there's quite a lot of water coming into the portal edge and at that point it's like oh shit like i'm all right right now i feel fine i'm a bit cold i'm a bit wet but if this carries on for two days and it's cold and some runoff comes off, off the top and, and gets us like, actually we're going to be in a bit of a shit situation. So that first night was for me, was horrendous. Like I was wet. I was cold. It was loud. Uh, every time the wind blew, there'd just be this massive buffet of rain the whole time. And like all of the condensation that had built up on the inside was like pushed everywhere. And it, it just wasn't that waterproof. If, if the water was sitting on any part of the portal edge for more than like a second or so, it would just drip straight through. And we just lay in a puddle for, 12 hours um <laughs> at that point i was feeling pretty miserable like i th- there's no other option than to just sit there like we couldn't even bail if you bail in the in the rain like that's going to be even worse so we knew we were just gonna have to sit there but we were just in purgatory no idea how long it was going to take suffering and like not i never got to the point where i'm like okay i'm really wet and cold right now well no i i'm wet and cold to the point of being dangerous but it was always a possibility just on the horizon um and it i found that quite a quite an interesting anxiety to sit with um it sounds exactly like sitting in iso before a competition (laughs) i think i I take the competition isolation honestly (laughs) at least you know how long it's gonna last yeah well there's there's a sense of impending doom but um one of them is a little less (laughs) <laughs> a little less visceral i suppose yeah it's not actual doom <laughs> yeah i'm gonna put a little disclaimer in there that uh, uh tom randall is my boss so thank you very much for letting me the portal edge it was excellent in every way <laughs> I, know she's a bit I have no su- i have no such conflict of interest it was a piece of shit <laughs> uh, it's a bummer you guys drove right past my house <laughs> I have a I have a brand new pretty much. Well, it's got one oh. one ascent on it before uh, that I'm probably never oh, going to use God. again. So oh. I could have hooked you guys up right next time. <laughs> next time we sat through the rain for two days and like w- we got a little bit of sunshine on the first morning that kind of let us dry out all our sleeping bags and stuff. Um, the second night of rain I think was worse for Billy, like with the way the, the ledge was set up. But it was I don't know. On reflection, now I've forgotten how horrendous laying in a port ledge for 36 hours, kind of sadly handing the the, the um, jet boil back and forth with, with like rehydrated pasta. Now I've forgotten that, it added to the, the, the adventure immensely. Like 
that we had a proper adventure and i know the fact that you can have a real adventure over a week 15 minutes from the road in the middle of like one of the us's like most beautiful national parks is is ridiculous like that's the sort of thing that you really have to fly to alaska and and go and live in the woods for a month to really get that's what it felt like to me um, being up there as a, a bit of a new yeah because i would say coming into this we we tried to be kind of sensible in our in our selection of of route in that like the nose is as safe as big walling gets like there's bomber bolts all over the place like you've got yosar right there that come and can come and rescue you like there's like pretty good um uh repel lines basically all over the place so like as big walling goes it's very very escapable um and you so can always we ask Hans to... Florian for advice because he'll he'll for uh, sure be on the route at some point. He'll be coming by at some point. <laughs> exactly, yeah, for his <laughs> four hundred lap. Um, <laughs> so, like, we were trying to be like somewhat sensible in the adventure that we chose, but yeah, sitting there in the rain kind of was a little bit more than we'd intended to to bite off. But if, looking back at it now, it, it it added to the experience and made it into a real adventure rather than like a controlled adventure and mm. um, even though in reality like you you could get short of it being like a really bad storm like i i'm pretty confident we could have got ourselves down i'm pretty confident <laughs> yeah, i think so too i i think there was never a point where i was like okay no the, we're like this is we i always felt like we had enough time in us to get down and and kind of wrap up and and be in the yeah. car and, and warm in not that long yeah um yeah. but it, it would have been really shit but it yeah. wouldn't have taken if the storm was twice as bad and went on the entire time like i i, I think there was always the chance that we could have started to get quite cold and quite wet and and then it starts to get scary but we never <laughs> and then rather than right, happy story of comp climbers come and free the nose it comp climbers get trapped on the note attempted to free the note <laughs> yes yeah, 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 completely different clueless, idiots, clueless idiots, get, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> idiots get caught on the nose <laughs> you know that that's funny because that's kind of i'm sure there's a lot of old guys that would have just relished that kind of I'm, like oh they, they skipped the they skipped the you know they skipped the training and now let's see what happened to them you know <laughs> so i'm quite interested to hear from you guys what your like sense was of the mission when like did did you give it did you give us a chance when you when you heard about it because the, the, the correct answer is absolutely not these guys are going to get totally rinsed but I'm, I'm interested to hear what your like your perception was at the beginning well i actually only i only heard about it after it happened so i had no previous knowledge and then i went back and like you know follow look through you guys's reels and stuff and and caught up with it but i mean i i and i think andrew probably feels like this too is first of all i love these stories when you know someone smashes the state um and the state being like yeah you have to you know put your time in and you you know you need to learn like andrew talked about in the beginning there's this gap and you you know these kids need to learn to climb outside and all this sort of thing not that you guys are kids but um, you were comp kids at one point and, uh, <laughs> but I, I love those stories. And like, you know, when, when Connor was 15 and did it like yeah. that, cause I, you know, I've, I've talked about this ad nauseum, like this, this kind of, you know, stuck in the mud sort of vibe that can come out as Yosemite for the last like decades and decades is always bothered me. It's like, you know, everybody gets in this grind of the way things have to be done and, these are the these are the rules that go with it and 
Um, I'm a total believer in breaking the rules. And you guys sort of broke the rules in that sense of, you know, you you were supposed to go for a season and climb the rostrum and climb the Astro Man and, you know, do all the things for a while before you're allowed to, like, try to do what you did. And so I don't know what my expectations would have been, but I would have been rooting for you had I known you were up there, um, you know. And, and also the other thing is, like, it, which we were sort of getting at with the talking about the grades is, like, you know, these grades are not hard anymore for people. You know, if you just take it grade to grade, um, 14A is, you know, it's, it's not, it's not heinous anymore. And so it's like, people need to kind of maybe roll that through their heads a little bit as far as there's two really hard pitches, but for guys like you grade wise, it's, you know, it's not something you look at and wither, um, even though it turned out to be harder than you thought maybe, uh, but so, yeah, it, it's not like a, a, a deterrent anymore. Those those grades on two pitches, you know, it's not the freaking Don Wall. So, so this is what I actually find most compelling about big walling and um, big wall free climbing is that climbing a, a world class sport route is very. It's it's a relatively small task, right? You you have thirty moves to contend with, and um, I am a big fan of how rounded of a climber it forces you to be to climb 30 pitches of varying styles and all quite hard my my conception of really good climbers are people who can go out to the crag and do anything they're not constrained into one really specific style and i think hard bouldering and hard sport climbing has kind of funneled into quite a, a samey style that i don't find that interesting it's very like finger strength dependent it's very fitness based climbing on yosemite is so technical and and has such variety in the climbing that you've got to be good at everything to do all of the pitches up there and i I, that's why i I think it is such a a more full task it's so much more rich to go out and do this variety of stuff in the variety of styles all the way from crack to slab to hard physical pulling that's kind of what i loved about comps was the the fact that there was such a variety and you had to be good at everything and big walling is the only like discipline of climbing where i found that kind of variety is is valued um that so i, I I'm, I'm keen to do more of it to be honest it kind of doesn't allow you to be that much of a specialist because there's 30 pitches like there's going to be a lot of variety right like it's it's kind of as, as simple as that like yeah as i said like it forces you to be pretty pretty rounded um logistically as well as yeah as well as physically yeah i just feel like you you need you need to be a thoroughly competent climber to go up there um which i think is a is a cool thing beyond just pulling really flipping hard on a crimp um which i also also enjoy but yeah i love i love a a little grifter occasionally but i I don't want my entire climbing focus to be how strong are my fingers and and how hard can i pull on on these like campus edges in water sports and and the ocean there's this concept of the waterman which I, I really value a lot, the ability to do all these different things and, and kind of be safe while you're doing it. I, that's kind of what I want my climbing to be around. And I, I, that's kind of what I enjoy doing. I want to be able to go to any part of the sport and, and be like confident and safe and do stuff that I'm proud of. And big walling is a really good way of kind of forcing, a good forcing function for those skills. But I will say, I, I do think that being a competition climber does does set you up quite well to it gives you a massive foundation of strength and sort of movement iq and then a lot of the other things that you need are very learnable so i think if 
if competition climbers put their put their minds to these bigger objectives and like we're excited about it i i think a lot like a lot of cool cool stuff could happen it just it kind of requires it for that that community to sort of decide that it's cool which is odd to me because i think el cap is like the coolest thing ever uh and that's been the case the whole time that i was a comp climber as well um but i guess that's just slightly less the case now i don't know because working any big war project would take so long like it, it, regardless mm. of how hard it is for you it's going to take ages like we were there for a month and we basically worked two pitches just with all of the hiking to the top the hauling the jugging the sleeping on the summit like it takes a long time if you're doing that in a comp career you'll just fall behind like you need to be training for that whole time it's kind of only really a post-retirement option <laughs> so it was the first thing we went and did like a, it's like the comp climbing version of being a greeter at walmart uh, you just retire into this like other life um yeah it's pretty funny i mean yeah so one of the little blip that's been that was reported and then kind of overshadowed by this grand adventure is that uh you know i mentioned you driving by my house uh you also swung by indian creek or did that happen on a different trip alex now nah, we we so we started in colorado we climbed in like eldo and castle rock for, for a few days and then we cruised over to the desert um essentially to go and like learn to crack climb um mm-hmm. we wanted to climb thing like we're both pretty confident on like standard hands and stuff but we've not we've both not climbed much off with or fingers so kind of getting a good sense for that in as, as focused a way as possible so we got there and immediately tried a roof overhang off with yeah yeah Natu- the, the buried the lead here is is that you you flashed a belly full of bad berries um yeah. which is funny because we've been talking about randall in this thing right <laughs> and so it's like this like weird uk hotbed of like off with climbing you know so um and you know i think most people listen to this have some idea what that route is but it's this incredibly overhanging uh off with crack uh, 13 plus range um yeah so it's like i said it's sort of this little thing that alone would be astounding but it's like been you know buried by this bigger story of the nose so uh what gave you the the sort of chutzpah to to saddle up for that thing, Alex. I I think it's one of the coolest routes in the world. Like it's, I saw a picture of it on a climbing magazine. I can't remember who was on it, but hanging off of the the jug in the middle with their feet above their head. On that photo, it doesn't even capture the scale and how steep it is and how much it like. It just gets slowly steeper for like thirty meters. I I think it's one of the coolest routes in the world. So obviously we wanted to go and try it. Um, I I don't know. I I had a reasonable confidence that I I. I think if you can do it, you can flash it. You've got enough time to figure out all the positions. And if you can move, you can keep moving. I didn't expect it. Well, no, it was way more physically draining than I was ready for. And to be honest, the fact that I managed to pull it out is probably one of the best bits of climbing I've ever done. Billy was kind enough to like go for the flash go or go for the onsite go. And, and I kind of got to watch him try it. And it I can't <laughs> speak my filled me with confidence. Doing it. My confidence of doing it was much lower than yours. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll sacrifice the flash go. That's okay. But yeah, Alex's attempt was, it's one of the, one of the more impressive feats of effort, I think I would, I would say. Just like the, the sort of desire to keep going along it, despite like a good few points on it where you kind of stalled out quite a bit and you just sort of kept grinding it out. Flipping uh, well impressive, especially having been up on it and sort of understanding 
because I had I had the appropriate experience. I got I got kind of spanked as as you should, having basically no no roof off lifting experience. Um, so I I thought it was very cool. But I've never re- I don't think I've ever climbed a roof off with. I've like stuffed my feet in cracks before and like hung upside down and stuff. But I've never actually moved. The the my, the grand extent of my experience is about ten years ago. The climbing works had this like off width that's about the right size it's about a number five that i i went up and down a few times in my approach shoes um upside down and i thought climbing upside down when your feet stuffed in above your head was the coolest thing um but that's pretty much it we do we do not have roof off width in the uk so that was kind of my first time and we went and climbed do you know crack of doom in uh at lumpy lumpy ridge in um estes mm-hmm. we, we climbed yes. that before horrendous that was the it's 10c uh it was climb 10c or 10d Regardless, it's really hard for 10C or 10D. If, if somebody had called that like 512 plus, I would have been quite happy. It was, we went and tried that on our, on our like way over. And that was pretty much, yeah, that was such a hard look into off with climbing that doing a, yeah. a, an off yeah. with three grades hard, three number grades harder seemed pretty ridiculous. That thing put the fear into me about any kind of off with thing. <laughs> it was the living end and so the this is a bit of a tangent the second pitch on that uh is basically just number six uh for the entire entire sort of hard section we only had one but then there's two old aiding bolts in it which are like 60 years old we looked into it afterwards they're like they're from the first ascent they're like ex- explicitly not designed for falling on they're like black orange hanging your way bolts. only like rusty is anything like death bolts don't clip them alex like got into the crook section of this crack of beer um got tangled up with uh with the rope like he'd he'd pushed the number six past the bolt so it was like basically the rope was like uh and then rather than unclipping the shit bolt he unclipped the number six so the only thing that protecting him down to the anchor was these 60 year old aiding bolts uh and then his feet slid out of the crack and he took like a one-arm ride on a hand jam with nothing but these sketchy-ass aid bolts underneath him. It was horrendous. I was <laughs> screaming. I was really quite scared. <laughs> it was a really stupid decision. <laughs> <laughs> but we're here. We yeah, made it. We're good. Awesome. <laughs> Alex called it the crack of doom, but yeah, you're talking about the crack of Sorry, fear on... crack uh, of fear, my bad. Doom and fear feel very similar in my mind when describing that climb. Exactly. No. Um, yeah, sudden somewhere hidden on some old like Super 8 tape is some footage of me climbing that from like oh, 20 nice. years ago. <laughs> I like, love to yeah, see it. The, just horrendous. The, uh, I should try to dig that out because the look of like just like exhaustion on my face and like <laughs> like co- combined with sort of fear and just like why am I here? It's I remember it being pretty damn classic. So yeah, that thing's funny, huh? And then there's the there's one right next to it, uh, peaches and cream. Maybe that's also just it's at five eleven, so you're really getting into it there. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we sorry, those three we, pitches we took us a, the entire day. We had day enough. We had enough off whip for that day. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. <laughs> we did oh, that, and awesome. right, well, we're off to Yosemite. We're going to be fine. <laughs> well, it's funny if you guys switch over to the South Day ever. That thing is a surprising amount of like off with the squirming at the five ten level. Um, yeah, so so keep that in mind if that's if that's in your next uh, big wall goals. We'll do a couple more I, laps I, of crack of fear. Yes, you'll be fine. I, I think we started to kind of gain a bit of confidence with those sizes by the end. Like, cool. I think regardless of how hard it is, you're going to suffer and it's going to be 
it's not going to be very nice. Like, you're going to be kind of just stuffing everything in and trying trying to stick around. It doesn't get any easier. So, so yeah, what are your uh, what are your future big wall dreams? It sounds like at least Alex, it, it kind of lit the fire. Um, and of course, if you go, I'm sure I'm sure <laughs> Billy will be there with you. So, what's the what are you guys thinking about? Not anything set. Just what are like yeah. the the dreams? I am excited to do some more. I I think I need a little bit longer to sort of forget all the sufferingy bits. <laughs> but it was too complete an experience and like too sort of yeah, it was just a it was so so perfect an experience. Like it all sort of coming together and like the work that you put to, put into it. Yeah, it, it was too good a it was too good for me to just move on from it from having done one experience i've sort of drawn a comparison to it in terms of i I always thought that like a success at a competition would be the most of intense moment that i could get from climbing like when you've got the crowd and you've got the climb that you're faced with and your finite amount of time to to go at it and sort of it feels like the the stars are aligning for you in that perfect moment and it all sort of comes together and it's it just sort of feels like perfection i'd never had that on any rock climb prior to that but then with a with this big wall and it, like you put all this work in and you sort of had all this toil to get up to the crooks pitch and then everything is coming down to this singular moment on that on that route and there's a time limit and like you need to perform now to make it happen uh it gave me that same intensity that I would get from from those like highlight moments from my competition career. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm going after that feeling again for sure because uh, I've yeah I've not yet had that from any other kind of rock climbing. I always kind of describe cop climbing as a bit more like an addiction than like a than anything else. Like you get <laughs> those incredibly intense, powerful moments of, of elation. And they are quickly followed by five disappointing comps in a row where you don't feel like you performed your best. And I expect that Big Walling will be a very similar trajectory where we would have had this essentially fairy tale experience where we got to go and try this thing that was totally foreign and totally unknown and actually pull it off. Like that's as like fairy tale magical situation as it gets. So I think any other Big Wall trip is going to be disappointing, but I'm still going to try. <laughs> um, I'm pretty psyched to get after it. Um, I, I think big walling is more particularly than anything else requires an objective that you are incredibly psyched about. You cannot be up there. You cannot put the work in unless the goal is meaningful to you. I think like talk about the process versus the outcome, but the process is hard. Like, so it needs to be something that you're inspired by and something that you're kind of happy to put the work in on. So it needs to be the right thing. It needs to be the right project. I'll be back up there. I'm scared about it, but it'll be good. (laughs) Hey, folks. Do you absolutely love every word you hear on the runout? Agree with everything we say? And do you think we understand climbing better than you? Wait, did you just say yes? Well, then we're not doing our job. You see, we want the runout to be just like the name implies. A little risky, not for everybody all the time, but damn satisfying when we don't crater. We love it when you disagree, call out our bullshit, but are entertained nonetheless. No other climbing media has quite the same attitude. 
So we'd love for you to join our community and support what we're doing by becoming a rope gun at patreon.com slash runoutpodcast. We can't do this without you. And if we do end up needing sponsors, well, we'd likely have to cut back on the dildo jokes, the cackling, and the controversial opinions. And you don't want that, do you? As a rope gun, you also get bonus material, have more of a say in what we say, and you keep this thing alive and independent. So join today at patreon.com slash runoutpodcast. Today's final bit is some buddy spray from friend of the pod and supporter of the show, Cooper Houston from Palo Alto, California. If you have a buddy who's sending the NAR in climbing or in life, and you'd like to spray about your friend, join us on Patreon for information on how to submit your spray. To share our gratitude for those who care more about building up their buddies than taking down the NAR, we're sending Cooper a Yeti water bottle. If you want to participate in the Buddy Sprayathon, go to patreon.com slash runoutpodcast and sign up to support the show. You'll get bonus episodes and other perks like this. Be a buddy. Patreon.com slash runoutpodcast. I wanted to shout out my boy Bastion, <coughs> aka Beast House, aka Bath Truck, aka Bath House, for sending his fucking rig this weekend. He sent jailbait <coughs> at Jailhouse in California. Hard fucking rig. Hard fucking rig. I believe Steve Hong said it was the hardest 13C in the country. Whatever. We're not here to talk about grades. We're here to talk about my boy. We're here to talk about him sending. And more importantly, we're here to talk about him trying so, so hard. I had the honor of catching him too many times to count off that route. I've caught him falling off of the third bolt. I've caught him falling off on the last bolt. Too many times to count. I am so proud and so impressed to call him my friend and my climbing partner. I have never seen someone try and fail and fail and fail and fail so much. Shed tears at the end of his rope. After he blew the fucking last move again, questioning his self-worth, if he's good enough, if he's strong enough. And I watched him persevere through all of that and clip the chains, which in the end is such a silly, silly game that we play that sometimes I have a hard time playing it myself. But it was really inspiring to watch someone fully immerse themselves in the game and care so much about this silly 80 feet of rock. I can't begin to to describe the elation and joy that I felt when I watched him send, let alone what he felt 
and still like it, you know, 24 hours or so after he sent, I am just elated that I was there to watch it. I'm glad that I have a person like Bastion in my life to inspire me and to show me that you can, oh God, it's so silly, but you can do literally anything. You can do anything if you just put your fucking mind to it and keep banging your head against the wall. So I hope that you guys have someone like that in your life. And um, shouts out to all the folks at Jailhouse. Shouts out to my mom and dad. Shouts out to my girlfriend, Jade. Love you. You've just listened to another episode of the Run Out Podcast. If you like our show, the best way to support us is by giving us money. We don't care about iTunes ratings. You can share it with your friends or don't, whatever. But we are 100% listener supported because we believe this is the best way to stay independent, say what we think, and be accountable to the most important people in our lives, which is you, our listeners. To support our show, check us out on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash runoutpodcast. For as little as $5.14 a month, you can become part of the Runout Nation and get bonus episodes that will titillate your ear holes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.